Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. I think we're going to get started. The extended break as we frantically get our children. All right, question. Have you ever have you ever thought you knew someone and then saw them in a different light, you know, some sort of circumstance and it kind of changed the way you saw them from then on? I'll I'll give you an illustration. Uh, my dad was a, um, you know, he was a good guy. He was six foot, maybe 170 pounds. Uh, we lived in the San Francisco Bay Area in a not so nice area of, uh, of the world. Um, and he was well, well respected. I'd see him, you know, be with people. And, but on occasion, we would be someplace that was a little scary, and I always felt very nervous. Um, even when my dad was around, because things seemed a little chaotic, seemed a little weird. One day I was about eight or nine years old, and we went to, uh, to see an Oakland A's game. And when we'd watch the, the A's play, we'd always get bleacher seats. And back in the 70s, the bleachers were, um, let's just say, a bit chaotic. Uh, you paid your money, and it was fairly cheap, and it was first come, first serve. You just sat wherever. And uh, my older brother and my dad and I went to the Oakland Coliseum to the bleachers. And there's usually, when we've gone before, there's always fights and all sorts of chaos. I was both excited about that and a little nervous. And I'm sitting there with my dad and my brother. And these two kind of large biker guys with uh, leather jackets and tattoos and all sorts of weird stuff sit right in front of us. And uh, within moments of them sitting down, one of them lights up a joint. Uh, for you kids, that's marijuana, and it wasn't for medicinal reasons. <laughs> and so here are these two guys, and by the way, this is California in the 70s, this happened. And my dad, this, you know, average-sized guy, grabs the guy in front, just hits him on the shoulder, and goes, Hey, buddy. I got kids here. Why don't you guys take that somewhere else? Now, <clears throat> this is the first time I've ever heard my dad talk like that. My dad would normally have this friendly voice. And this wasn't so friendly. My dad was ordering these two guys to leave. And these two guys stand up and they turn around and I thought, we're dead. My dad's going to get beat up. We're going to go to the hospital. They stand up, and my dad just looks at him and goes, I'm asking you guys to take it somewhere else. And these two guys look at him. They look at each other. One of them hits him and goes, come on. And they walked away. And my dad just sits there and looks at the game. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, my goodness. That was cool. 
And I never looked at my dad the same. And in fact, what I realized is that if I was with my dad, I never felt scared again. I just figured my dad could take care of stuff. It was so cool. I never thought that before until I saw it with my own eyes, him taking care of the situation. Today's scripture is sort of like that, in that three of the disciples are taken with Jesus, and they're going to get a glimpse of his glory. And it's going to show them who Jesus really is. It's the transfiguration of our Lord. So let's... Uh, Let's read the scripture, and then we'll pray, and I'll get started with that. So we're in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matters to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today to hear your word. And Lord, we know your son Jesus. But God, we ask that like the blind man who only saw partially, we pray that today we might see more clearly who Jesus is. Help us, Lord, as we read this scripture, as we hear uh, more about it, we would have a greater desire and passion for listening to him. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name and to your glory. Amen. Okay. Uh, when, when Pastor Dan asked me many moons ago to preach, uh, I was very excited to say, well, he first said, uh, possibly preach. And I said, sure, anytime. And then David Gallagher said, why don't you just preach? And I said, you got it. And I was so excited there was transfiguration. But at the same time, it, it's a little uh, overwhelming. Um, when I used to pastor, I would preach uh, a lectionary cycle. And every end of epiphany right before lent 
it was the Transfiguration. So I figured this is my 15th sermon on the Transfiguration. And anytime you preach it, you see something new. There's so much involved here, it's, uh, it's amazing. And the more I study it, the more I realize I don't know. It, it's one of those passages. So I was telling my kids, yeah, this is going to be tough to keep it under an hour. But I've been sweating in this. I'm going to keep it short. So let's begin from the beginning. He says to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. What I want us to do is, is to look at the context of him saying this back in chapter um, 8. First of all, we have this, this section, and, the, and I know we kind of went out of order, so I want to remind us. In chapter 8, there's the series of, of things that happen. Jesus heals a man who's blind, and the first time he, he does it, he can see but not clearly. Remember, that it's like the trees are walking around. The people look like trees walking around. It's ent, they're ents, right? And so Jesus has to do, or Jesus does a second work, and then he can see clearly. This is foreshadowing the fact that the disciples kind of know, they know Jesus, but they don't see clearly about his purposes. Uh, Jesus asked them who people say that he is. Some thought he was Elijah, other, some of the prophets. Uh, John the Baptist come back from the dead. Who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses that he is the Christ. And then Jesus begins to talk about him dying. And, and what happens is Peter rebukes Jesus and Jesus says he's not thinking of uh, things of God but of man. And now we're getting to this uh, passage. Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, but what he thought the Christ was is incomplete. What he thought Jesus was going to do he didn't quite grasp it. Jesus was coming as the Messiah. He was going to be for us the king, which is what they expected. They wanted the king. In fact, the Messiah or anointed one simply as a title for the king. He's going to be the true king who's going to establish his kingdom forever and ever, and there will be no end to his dominion. And that's what they're expecting. They also understood him to be a prophet. He is he is speaking God's words. He is confronting people with their sins. He gets that. They're, he's a king and he's a prophet. What they're missing here and, and where we're seeing the transition is that Jesus, in order for him to have dominion, in order for him to, to establish his kingdom, he has to take on the role of priest. He has to take on the role of priest go to Jerusalem and offer up for one time the perfect sacrifices for the sin of humankind. We talk about this in our, as, as good Presbyterians do. We go to the Westminster Catechism. How does Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executes the office of a priest and is once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be a reconciliation for the sins of the people and in making continual intercessions for them. For whatever reason, even though the Old Testament talks about this, 
about the Messiah or the servant coming to suffer and be an offering for sin, in the minds of a lot of the, the Jewish people, they separated out the servant of God and the Messiah. Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, you see, is talking about him being the Christ, the Messiah. And as soon as Peter says, you're the Christ, Jesus is now setting his face to Jerusalem in order to take up his priestly ministry of offering himself as that sacrifice. This might be a hard pill to swallow. And so what Jesus has to do is allow at least his key disciples, Peter, James, and John, to see his glory, to have faith in what he is going to do, to show that he is greater than the, the prophets, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. In fact, the two of them point to him and witness to him that he is the one and they'll have confidence in what is about to transpire. Does that make sense to everyone? All right, I'll close in prayer. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So, the first part is this, this Son of Man. You'll notice throughout, um, at the end of this, the Transfiguration, when they come down, you'll see that Jesus picks up Son of Man language. Right? Instead of talking about the Christ, the Christ, the Christ, he talks about the Son of Man. This happened in chapter 8, uh, before this event. Um, you look at 831, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. In verse 38 of chapter 8, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Then you look here in, um, in the end of, uh, of the transfiguration, they're asking him questions about Elijah coming first. And again, Jesus refers to himself again as the Son of Man. Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. So what's he getting at here? Well, it has to do with the prophet Daniel and a vision that he has in chapter 7. Let me read it for you. Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." We read later on in the Gospel of Mark in the Olivet Sermon, the disciples are curious about the destruction of the temple because Jesus predicts that the temple is going to be destroyed, not one stone left on another. And in the Olivet Sermon, uh, Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and refers to that as being the sign that what happened in Daniel has taken place. Okay? The destruction in 70 AD when this happens, Jesus said that when that event happens, that's the sign that the that the kingdom has come and it was power. Also, you see, after Jesus is resurrected, he speaks of being uh, of to his disciples 
of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the question is, when, when does the kingdom come with power? And the answer from Scripture is sometime after the resurrection of Jesus, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the sign that this has happened is the destruction of Jerusalem. This will all make sense in a few minutes. It'll all make sense in a few minutes. Okay? All right. So let's look at what comes next in our, in our uh, passage, okay? So far we have in verse 1, uh, we understand that uh, some present will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, it says in verse 2, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, so no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared with them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So a few things here. One is, we've been reading the Gospel of Mark for a long time. Can anyone tell me another time where Mark talks about a specific time when something happens? Hmm. No, me neither. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, you'll remember it says, and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did that, and then Jesus went over there, and then Jesus did this, and immediately he did this. He's this man of action, and all of a sudden you have, and after six days, you might be wondering, why would he say that? Why wouldn't he just say, go to the next story and say, and then Jesus went up the mountain with three people? Well, there's a reason. After six days has a long history of uh, interesting things in Scripture. What did, Jesus, what did God do after six days of creation? He rested. Good. Um, when uh, the covenant was made with the people of God uh, in, at Mount Sinai, um, and the people were afraid, and Moses went up with three named people, up into the cloud, how long was he up there before uh, the voice spoke? Does anyone remember that? Is it six days? So, so Moses goes up into the glory cloud, and for six days he's up there, uh, and then a voice speaks from the cloud. This after six days makes us think of these things. That there's, there's a reason why Mark is saying after six days. I think one of the biggest things for us to think of is he's making a comparison here with Moses. It, and that me, makes it clear. There's, there's not only after six days, there's this radiance, right? Uh, Jesus is transfigured. He's like glowing. And as, if you look at uh, Luke and Matthew's account, it's not just his clothes. That seems to be what Mark is uh, uh, referencing his, whites are, his clothes are so bright, they're like shiny. Um, but his face, his skin as well, he's been changed, and the glory of God is being seen in the appearance of Jesus. Back to Exodus, when Moses was there, the glory came from God, 
And in Moses coming up into the cloud, talking with God face to face, that radiance of God's glory transformed his own face so that when he came down with the Ten Commandments, Moses was glowing. And so if you remember, people kept staring at him, so he wore a veil because they kept staring at him. In, in uh, the New Testament, um, the, the idea is, is that uh, people were staring at him because that shining was fading. But, but we, when we see Christ, when we're transfigured, when we're with him, we will have unveiled faces because the, the, the glory will, will be forever. Amen? Um, all right. Dan warned me, you should have something to secure your stuff. It's <clears throat> the one thing I forgot. So I'm going to, I got to get to my, my place here. Sorry. Maybe it will be an hour. No, I'm just kidding. As everything, well, you know what? I'm just going to put it away and I'm going to talk. So, so what we see is, is this. Moses has gone up to the mountain. He was transfigured by seeing the, the, uh, the glory of God himself. Um, but it, it faded. It was, it was uh, not permanent. Here it's Jesus who is shining. What, what this makes us understand is that the radiance of God, the glory of God, is Christ himself. And we read about that in Hebrews too. Right? Jesus is... Jesus is God. He is the perfect image of God. And, and his, his presence among the disciples is kind of his own veiling. Except when he's on that Mount of Transfiguration. He gives them a glimpse of who he really is. And he's there with Moses and Elijah. Moses, we understand, is the, it kind of represents the law. Right? He's the giver of the law. And you see Elijah representing the prophets. He was the greatest of the prophets. Both Moses and Elijah are mediators of God's word. Right? The people of God need a way to live. And they need to be told what the laws of God are. And so Moses is the appointed representative who goes up on the mountain and he comes back and he communicates the law to the people. Elijah is a prophet, and the people, even though they have the law, are not able to keep it. They keep forgetting about it. They're not listening to the law. And so Elijah and the other prophets would come and hear the, from, have the words of God to them, would speak to the people, trying to get them to repent of their sin and follow once again God's word. And over and over again, you see the history of God's people failing over and over and over again. They're, they're not able. The law doesn't save us. The law can point out our sin really well. But the law doesn't save us. The law can teach us how we ought to live, but none of us can live up to it. The law doesn't give us much comfort or hope. The law tends to condemn us because we can't keep it. The law did provide a sacrificial system. If you sin, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know, uh, a, a bull or a, a lamb or a dove or 
different sacrifices for different sins or different occasions. And they were being sacrificed over and over and over again. And where was it being sacrificed? Where were the sacrifices being held? Well, at first it was a tabernacle and then a temple. It's interesting that you hear these words from Peter. Hey, it's good for us. Can we make tabernacles? One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, we know that he had no clue what he was saying. It was kind of a... He was terrified. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation? You're so scared, you feel like you need to say something, and what comes out is not usually the greatest. This is what happened to Peter. He doesn't know what he's supposed to say. He's terrified. And he brings up this idea of tabernacles. I think our, our translation says tents. But the word is tabernacle. And then... God corrects them by bringing down the glory cloud and speaking out of it. Elijah, Moses, and Jesus are not on the same level. Moses and Elijah both point to Jesus. They witness to Jesus, but they're not Jesus. Jesus is God's beloved son, and we should listen to him. We should listen to him. So, now let me put some stuff together for you. I know it, it, it's, it seems confusing here. Okay? The kingdom is going to come with power, but until Jesus can receive that power, he has to complete his mission. He has to become the high priest and offer himself as a sacrifice through the cross. And that's where he's headed. The disciples are trying to get their head around it, he reveals his glory, and the glory cloud, God the Father, says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. We're on the same page, we can follow him. They still aren't sure what's going on, but let's talk about it. Jesus is going to come, and the current tabernacle, that is, the temple, is not going to be needed anymore. Why? Why? Because Christ has done, paid the sacrifice, he's mediating a new covenant at the right hand of the Father, and the tabernacle of God is going to dwell in each of us. The Holy Spirit is going to be sent down, and you will receive power with the Holy Spirit, which means we are the temple. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We are the mediators of God to this world. We are. By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's this mind-blowing thing that's going to happen. Christ is going to die on a cross, totally unexpected by the disciples, unless Jesus would have said something. He's going to rise from the dead. At this point, they're still wondering what that even means. Because no one's done it before. And Jesus has resurrected or, or risen some people, but they eventually die, right? Lazarus, he was raised from the dead, but he also died later. He's not walking around still. The only person to rise from the dead, resurrected, resurrection style, is Jesus. And that's what's going to happen to you and I when he returns. So they don't understand what this rising from the dead even means. 
But because he rises from the dead, it means that he's received his dominion, his kingdom, so that before he ascends back into heaven, he can say to his disciples, all authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. But they had to wait until they received power, and that was the poor outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And 70 years later, the temple's destroyed. The old was passing away, the new is here. The kingdom come with power. And that's what's going on here in this. Moses and Elijah both were sinners. Think of this. Moses, the one who receives the words from God, tells the people about what God has said, and yet Moses himself blew it when he didn't listen to the word of God himself. Why doesn't Moses get to go to the promised land? Because the voice of God told Moses to speak to a rock. And Moses didn't listen to that voice. He listened to the, the rambling of the crowds, the, 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 the grumblings and complainings of the people. And in anger, he struck the rock. God in his grace still gave out water. But Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. What about Elijah? Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel, up to a high mountain. And there's the prophets of Baal there. And, and Elijah taunts the prophets of Baal because, as the scriptures say, no matter how hard the, the prophets of Baal prayed and danced and cut themselves, there was no voice that came from their actions. No voice. Over and over again, no voice. But then... It was Elijah's turn. He says a simple prayer. And God takes up the offering and laps up all the water and even burns the stones. But what happens after that? The prophets of Baal are routed. They're killed. But then Ahab and Jezebel, they get upset. They come after him. And what does Elijah do? He runs. He runs and runs and runs. He gets to a cave on Mount, uh, Mount Horeb, and God says to him, what are you doing here? Like, Elijah, what are you doing here? Like, this isn't where you're supposed to be. And so God, God puts him in a cave, and then it, and there's an earthquake. I'm sorry, there's a great wind. And the Bible tells us, but God wasn't in earth, the, uh, the wind. Then there was this great earthquake. But God wasn't in the wind. And then there was a small, still small voice. And he heard. And Elijah heard. And that voice said, why are you here? And then God explained his purposes for Elijah. And then he, and he went on. You know we're in this whole mess because the, our first parents didn't listen to the voice of God? If you go back to the garden, God says, you, you get to have everything in this the garden. You can have all the trees, all the fruit. It's all yours for food. This is why I like God so much. 
He loves to give us food. And I like food. Right? Here, it's all yours. Take and eat. Take and eat. But there's one thing. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He communicates that to Adam. Adam and Eve are in the garden. A serpent comes and says to Eve, did God really say this? And Eve ends up taking the fruit, eating it, and giving it to her husband who's right there, and he eats of it. And the next verse talks about this. The voice of God comes walking in the, in the garden. Adam and Eve hide. The voice calls out, where are you? The voice of God is always seeking his people. We can't hide. He calls out to them, where are you? Then he says, in essence, to Eve, you listen to the voice of the serpent. To Adam, he says, because you listen to the voice of your wife. Not, not because it's not good to listen to your wife. Okay? It's that both of them were listening to the other voice. They weren't listening to the voice of God. They were listening to the serpent. They were listening to another person. They needed to listen to God. The big question for us is this. If we understand with the disciples in the transfiguration, Jesus really is the king who has all authority and glory and dominion and his kingdom will never uh, end because he was faithful as the priest to offer himself as a sacrifice once for all. And he is right now mediating for us on our behalf we have his spirit so that we can act as his priests here on earth. What should we do? Well, I think it's the same as what he says, the voice says to uh, his disciples, the disciples. We need to listen to the beloved son. Listen to him. I can't think of a time in my life where the world has been more confused than right now. The incredible amount of voices that you can hear every day, that your kids hear, telling you this and that. And we should listen to the voice of who? The voice of Christ. We should listen to him, not to the other voices. And one of my concerns with the Church of Jesus Christ today is, is that we're neglecting that voice. You can say, well... Ron, why do you say that? Because I meet a lot of Christians who are anxious all the time. We're stressed and we're worried about where the world is going, about our kids, about everything, this and that. Anxiety, depression, conspiracy theories, all the sorts of things getting us all worked up. My question is, what voice are you listening to? What voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of the Son? All authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. That has not gone away. His kingdom will have no end. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against his kingdom. And why are we acting like fearful cowards? Why are we acting with such anxiety? Listen to him. Listen to him. Sometimes I know we don't listen because we already know that we're filled 
with burdens and shame, guilt. We're not listening to Him. We think somehow if we could carry our own burdens, if we could just prove ourselves to God, He'll accept us, or we won't feel so guilty. The voice of Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest, He says. Not by your activities, not by your good works, not by you trying to be something that'll prove yourself. It, it, come to Him. Come to Him. He'll give you rest. So I'm asking you, Church, Jacob's Well, where are you? Where are you? Are you burdened? with sin and guilt? Are you heavy laden with anxieties and fears? I'd ask that you lay those down because Jesus calls to you and says, come to me and I'll give you rest. It's been paid for. This is the good news. It's been paid for. Christ is our high priest. He, he, he died on the cross once for all, our salvation is secure in Him. Listen to Him. Don't listen to the other voices. Satan's temptation is always the same from the garden on, even to this day. He's tasked saying to you, is that really true? Am I really saved because of what Jesus did? Is that really true? Look at you. You keep blowing it. You keep sinning over and over again. You need to do better. You hear those voices? Those are not the voices of Jesus. The voice of Jesus says it is finished. The voice of Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. And I'll give you rest. I know sometimes we'd love to be up on that mountain and make sure it's true, right? It would, if I could just see... If I could just see the glimpse of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, then it'll make my life so much easier. Then I'll really believe. You don't need that. God's word is true. God's word is faithful. And he's giving you the Holy Spirit to guide you into truth. And the truth is, you are loved you are forgiven. You have rest in Him. So come to Him. I know in a little bit we'll be able to share communion. And He always asks us, we always t talk about, you know, um, we come to the table. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus, that's one thing. But I know that there are times when some of our people think I'm not worthy enough to take communion and you and you don't let the elders decide that for you the table is not for those who are worthy the table is for those who need Jesus Jesus says come to me and I'll give you rest let's pray After the bikers leave. There we go. 
Father, we thank you and praise you for your son Jesus, who was faithful to go to the Mount Calvary and to offer himself once for all as a sacrifice for our sins. And God, it is so amazing that we are offered this grace that we can be saved from our sins, that our burdens and our, our sins can be removed from us. Not because of what we have done, not because of the state of our soul being good, but simply because you have loved us and offered it to us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to listen and come to your son, Jesus. I pray, God, for those who are here that have been on the fence. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them, that they would hear your voice calling them to yourself. And I pray for all of us who are filled with anxieties and guilts. Help us, Lord, not to listen to the world. Help us not to listen to our flesh. Help us not to listen to the devil. Help us to listen to your Son, that we too might receive the rest that you offer. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.